Good morning. I hope you guys had a safe and awesome week. Uh, it's raining like cats and dogs over here, though. We're not used to it, but we need it. Um, we'll wait a few seconds for you guys to join, and we're, we'll start our um, weekly session. We've got Logan with us. Good morning, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Good, Good. morning, Amin. I like it. I mean, it's always up and early and on time. So, <laughs> first one, early. Good morning, Chris, Ed. Um, yeah, it's raining really hard over here. It's uh, something we're not used to, but we need it. Uh, with all those California fires, we need those soils to get wet so we don't have another fire in a few months. But um, yeah, we'll wait a few more seconds. I'm going to have Logan read off the questions you guys sent. Uh, all your questions in and if, if you run out of questions please post them on the comment so logan can uh, get to them after we're done with this list um yeah let's get going uh absolutely and for the weekly rundown for all of the people who may be new on the call if you haven't already there should be a stream uh stream link at the top of the description on this live call click that link and you'll go through like two different steps so Mandy and I can see your name on our end. Otherwise, it shows Facebook user. All right. Looks like we got everyone hopping in. Good morning, Jeff, Carmen, Tigran, Eric, Kevin, Salome. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get started with the questions. So first question for the week from Sam. Uh, he said, on last week's call, you mentioned that before the 09 downturns, mm -hmm. 2009 downturns, you invested in some less risky assets like industrial and food line centers. Mm -hmm. Do you think these are considered less risky assets today? Or are there other types of property you would instead buy if you thought there was a downturn coming? Well, the least risky, I would say, is residential. But residential doesn't give you the yields uh, commercial properties do. Um, and I, food line centers, you know, they're a grocery anchored chain. Uh, they usually are anchor of the property, 80%, up to 80% of the property. And to me, they're essential. I don't think, you know, uh, people want to stop eating <laughs> or buying eggs uh, and meat and groceries. So I like grocery anchor tenants because, uh, centers, because they're, you know, recession proof and stable. And typically they have very long-term leases. Uh, and then back to industrial, I like those because those are usually occupied by, you know, your Fortune 500 companies that are have a lot of vested interest in the property, right? Your your FedExes, Continental Airlines, Halliburton. Uh, so those were my tenants. I bought a million a square feet industrial in, um, you know, 2007 before it, before the crash um, when I sold my high-rise buildings. And that they weathered the storm pretty well. I mean, most of my high-rise buildings end up at the mortgage servicer desk, and uh, that that's what saved me. Awesome. Second question from Amin. He said, how much time in a listing agreement do you give brokers when selling an asset? Brokers mm -hmm. usually want six months with options to extend. Mm -hmm. Is it fair to provide them with 90 days? And what is considered too short for a listing mm -hmm. to keep brokers excited to sell the asset? Very good question. I mean, uh, yeah, 90 days is too short unless it's a residential property. Uh, commercial properties, you know, typically broker takes about two to three weeks to prepare their marketing material, sometimes up to four weeks. 
they got to do their aerial photos. They got to do your financials put together. They got to pull up the comps. Uh, takes a long time, right? So it eats up about a month of your contract. I would say shortest, shortest, reasonable, uh, given it's a seller's market. Again, depends on what type of product and the market, right? I would say four months, but four to six months is you know reasonable if it's a commercial property. If it's residential, definitely 60 to 90 days is uh, more reasonable. All right, Michael Ward, good morning. We'll start with your questions. Do you like having medical tenants, doctors, clinics, et cetera, in any of your office buildings, or do you tend to avoid medical or dental tenants? Oh, I would absolutely love to have those type of tenants. Again, they have more vested interest um, in the property, and also they build up their clientele, right, for many years uh, in your building, and it's not likely they could get up and go 10 miles away from that location because usually they tailor to the neighborhood. So they, they tend to stay where they are. If it's a dentist, chiropractor, um, a doctor, um, surgical center, those typically are, you know, uh, more solid in terms of uh, staying in your property. So I absolutely would love to have more of them. All right. And then second question from Michael, you often refer credit tenants. Mm -hmm. Could you share some details of how we can determine if a potential tenant would be considered a credit tenant? Yeah, so when I say credit tenant, doesn't mean they have a high FICO score. <laughs> credit tenant uh, refers to in a commercial property. Uh, you know, it will refer to a credit tenant if it's a regional or national chain tenant. Okay, typically, you know, fifteen uh, locations plus, or they're publicly traded, and uh, that's what it refers to. Uh, they they have basically multiple locations. They're in multiple territories. And they have very strong financials and rapidly, whether it's rapidly growing or not, or if it's a, you know, a more seasoned company, it really refers to having multi-locations, multi-territories, and very strong balance sheet. All right. Next question from Janil. I have a 2,000 square foot single office building in Woodland near Sacramento, California. Looking to find a tenant for 3,000 per month. I have a medical point COVID testing tenant interested, mm -hmm. but they want to contract six months to 12 months. What do you think? What should be my strategy in general to get this tenant to be my first tenant? And basically, how should I negotiate? This is my first time negotiating with the tenant. Mm -hmm. They want me to pay everything, water, garbage, property tax, insurance, etc., except for electricity. Would you mind sharing the tenant contract format as well? First of all, I would never ever do a six-month lease on a, in, in a single tenant sitting on your property um, unless you're getting you know three times the amount of rent uh, versus market. So if that property rents for a thousand and they're gonna offer you three thousand for six months, yeah, and it's absolutely as is, I would do it. Um, if you uh, you know you get comfortable with a tenant. You don't want a tenant to go ahead, occupy for six months, start defaulting, fall BK, and uh, string you along for a year without paying your rent because that can happen. So uh, there's a lot of ifs. That's why I don't like to do short-term leases. But hey, I, I've seen a lot of uh, businesses, especially like you know during uh, holidays or season seasonal tenants, like selling Halloween costumes. They want to go ahead, occupy a big bulk 
vacant uh, retail building for four months only, but they'll pay you know three times the amount of rent uh, per month. Those types are okay. This one seems to be a COVID test center. They want to use your building. Um, if they have multi-locations, you feel comfortable with them and they're paying more than market rent, at least double, um, maybe I would, I would consider it. And then in terms of the lease format, I don't remember, where is the property located? Uh, California. California. Oh, California. Okay. Yeah. So every estate has their own lease format. You can get that either on ZIP forms, uh, we call it WEN form or ZIP form, or just CAR, uh, California Association of Realtors website. Um, I, you know, most of my leases are, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, much more complicated. They're, uh, you know, basically formatted by my attorney um, because my tenants are much larger, um, but I can see if we can uh, pull one off the car uh, and send it to you. All right, next question from Enoch. Mm -hmm. said, what industry newsletters, data, or reports do you sign up for and review? Mm -hmm. I'm interested to know what metrics you'll be assessing when the downturn hits yeah. and when you'll figure out when we get back into the market. Everybody asks me that. There is no crystal ball and there is no single report I look at. 80% um, of the economy is driven by consumer spending. So if you see the consumer spending and consumer confidence reports that comes out every month. Um, I watch CNBC a lot. I watch the news, Market Watch, um, several sites that give me the news feed. But more importantly, you know, is the interest rates, you know, the 10-year treasury and also unemployment, um, you know, the GDP. If it's contracting more than two quarters, it's the definition of recession. Um, there is a lot. It's not just one, a stock market. Um, if a stock market gets into a bear market territory, drops 20% and it stays there for a couple of months, uh, that's very bad. Uh, right now, we're at the 85-year top cycle in the stock market, in S&P 500 specifically. So 85-year high. Um, so there is a lot of room to correct for correction. Uh, there's a lot. And then you have your Black Swan events. Uh, that was your Lehman Brothers of 2008, Burr Stern. If you have another, uh, you know, mammoth uh, finance company, uh, all of a sudden overnight, get a, you know, go bust and do a trickle down effect in the financial markets and all the banks that stop lending, uh, freeze, similar to what happened in March 2020 when the market dropped excess of 30%. So there is a lot of variables. There's not one single report I look. Um, and then you have also the defaults. If you start seeing foreclosures a spike, and I'm seeing that right now in uh, specifically office assets. And if you start seeing that trickle down into retail and apartment complexes that you know had zero <laughs> vacancy factor in their underwriting, a lot, a lot. I mean, I can't really tell you in one sentence what to look for. It's a combination of basket of uh, reports and uh, indexes I take a look at. Are there any specific newsletters or news companies that you look at? Nope, not one specific. All right. Next question from Mustafa. When purchasing a retail center with financing and outparsing the big box, out of it to sell and lease the vacancies on the remaining of the center. Mm -hmm. Can you please walk us through the events happening with the vendor at each step? 
So this is buying a property at or selling it afterwards, right? Yes, a retail selling. Yeah, so typically, not typically, you definitely want to uh, have a clause in their loan, in your note specifically, that allows for partial collateral release. Okay, so in other words, they'll carve out the portion that you're going to outparcel and sell, and the lender will carve out that income from that tenant, and then the remainder of tenants that are left over in the remaining parcel going to have to have debt service coverage ratio, and uh, whether it's 1.25, 1.3, whatever it is in your note. And then the lender will say, okay, the remaining tenants can justify uh, based on the income in place of, uh, you know, a million dollar loan and you owe 1.5. So now you got to pay it down 500 grand when you add parcel and sell it. That's how it typically works. Of course, you still have to add parcel it, get a surveyor. You got to, uh, you know, get a new APN from the county. Uh, and to go through all that, you need cross uh, parking easement agreement. Uh, a lot goes to it. If it's residential, you probably need an association to manage the common areas. So it all depends uh, on, on the layout and the type of the asset. But those are some of the items you got to do. All right. And second question from Mustafa. Uh, what net worth, not portfolio value? Do you recommend to start holding properties for cash flow and not to flip? And how is your experience? Hmm. Great question. It's not really a question of net worth. It has to do with how much is your, uh, you know, personal expenses on a monthly basis. And do you have a job or do you have a business that pays that? If you don't have a job and you don't have a business that pays that, you obviously want to always have, uh, you know, some properties for cash flow to live off of. Um, you don't want to live off your savings. If you got two million bucks and say, well, I want to just keep flipping and do capital growth. I don't want any cash flow. So you're buying empty buildings, flipping them, and then you're living off your savings. Uh, in the meantime, well, that's not a great scenario. You always want to have some in your portfolio. So it's really not a question of net worth is, uh, whether you have a job or a business that's actually sustaining your personal monthly expenses. All right. Uh, next question from Mazi. Manny, can you give us a market update now that inflation is above 6%? Mm -hmm. Where do you see things going in your eyes? Again, I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> uh, honestly, I think the inflation is a, as a result of too much liquidity and lack of inventory. So those two things, right? Um, especially for cars, watches, uh, the customers, you know, increased and amount of customers increased for Rolex watch or Ferrari or Rolls, but the inventory didn't, right? A uh, lot of these things are all hand-built. Actually, almost all of them are hand-built. Patek Philippe, Rolls, Rolexes, uh, Rolls-Royce, Ferrari, all these things are hand-built. So their bandwidth for output is the same, but they pumped in $10 trillion, which increased a lot of new buyers for these goods. Uh, that causes inflation, right? Um, and I think once the liquidity goes away and it burns off, which could be six to 12 months, you're going to see elevated levels of inflation. I don't see this to be like the 80s where, you know, rates going to start going to 14%, 18% on real estate because of inflation. Um, I see this as uh, a temporary, uh, you know, phenomenon. All right. And then second question from Ozzy. 
when do you think we'll see some solid correction in Marshall and single family face? Mm. Well, when the Fed starts tapering off, which they've already announced they will, tapering off means they're going to start uh, reducing their bond buying per month. Uh, they're buying something like 120 to 150 billion a month in bonds. That's what pushes the yields down. 10 years treasury, uh, you know, it's like I think 1.4 right now. And once they start doing that, you're going to start seeing the 10 year treasuries uh, go up. And that's the index is tied to almost 90% of the loans on the commercial loans, right? And, and I think that the rate increase is what's going to trigger the, uh, the buyers to stop buying and when the buyers demand to buy properties goes away and sellers are forced to drop prices that's when you start seeing the market turnover all right next question from eden leaf good to see you he said, what was the biggest challenge you faced in your commercial property investing career and how mm -hmm. did you overcome it hmm, good question i would say the biggest one was cash you know to buy commercial property, you need a lot of money uh, to put down, uh, 30, 35% down, uh, depending on the property. And in commercial properties are not cheap. They're usually over a million bucks. So you need like 300,000 to 350, right? Uh, how did I overcome it? Well, I bought my uh, you know, first big commercial property. That was the one in Santa Ana. I bought that with an SBA loan. So I only put 10% down. Um, and the first property I bought, I put $200,000 down, and that was in Whittier, and I couldn't get a loan. So I would say maybe my first challenge is a 50-50 toss-up. I couldn't get a loan, and I didn't have the down payment. Uh, that's the two uh, top two reasons most investors are not able to get into commercial properties. But if you own a business, I would say utilize the SBA that gives you 90% financing. And if you don't own a business and you want to start real estate, you can utilize the FHA financing, which is 97% financing. So most people don't have the liquidity to start. They don't have a big savings. So financing, I would say, is the obstacle number one. All right. Next question from Jeremy Doolittle. Good to see you also. He said, investors often talk about raising rents after improvements are made, but isn't that only possible once leases are up? For example, if you buy a shopping center or office building, you can't raise rents on current tenants. So do you wait for leases to expire, then raise rents? And if you can't raise rents for a few years, what's the point of buying a building with solid tenants with leases in place? Great question. Well, I almost never buy a property that's not a value add. Value add means there are some tenants I can roll over to a higher rent and longer term leases. And two, there is some vacancy I can lease. So it has to be a mismanaged property to some extent, not 100% vacant, not 50% vacant, but maybe the markets on a retail is 95% occupancy in that sub market, and I'm buying this at 80, right? Um, that's the type of scenario it is a must for me to buy commercial property. Uh, rarely I would buy something 100% occupied. And if I do, there may be some tenants that are uh, on short-term leases that I want to roll over increase the rent after I improve the property. Awesome. Next question from Edward. Mm -hmm. He said, I learned you have the basic filters on the net, price per square foot, multi-tenant, investment property, etc. But can you share any other filters or search tactics you use when looking for properties? Yeah, that's a difficult one, but obviously 
you want to uh, avoid condos you want to avoid portfolio properties and those definitely you want to check those non you want you don't want condos um most definitely cap rate is important uh you didn't mention cap rate um you definitely don't want to buy a property that is uh, the type of property like hospitality restaurant single tenant so when you check your property type there is a sub category you want to go ahead and pick your general ones right office building warehouse industrial stay away from all the other um, special uh, tenants i call them all right and my recommendation edward would be to check out the LoopNet video inside of your members area mm -hmm. under the finding property section it's called how to use LoopNet, and then couple that with the investment criteria document under your resources section um, Edward's next question, would you recommend subscribing to Crexia LoopNet or CoStar and what benefits does the subscription offer over what is available for free? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I subscribe to LoopNet and CoStar. I'm a premium member, so I don't know what's the, they constantly change. So I don't know what they're offering now for free. Um, I would definitely check that. And Crexia, I didn't know they charge. I mean, it used to be free. Maybe they start charging, but I don't use Crexia much. And Edward, this could be a great question to post inside the Facebook group. I know a lot of members have also done this research much more recently to see what are the pros and cons of each. Um, cool. Next question from Zeran. If you're looking to buy a $1 million strip center, mm -hmm. I'm assuming you have to come up with approximately 250 k as a down payment and then get a loan for 750000 Do you have to make a salary to qualify for that amount usually? Uh, if it's a vacant building, yes. Uh, Typically, the property uh, would have a debt service coverage ratio that lender needs. Um, again, 1.25, 1.3 typically is what lenders look for. What does that mean? That means after you pay property tax, insurance, all the common area expenses, you're left with your net operating income. And you take that net operating income, and it, it, that needs to cover 125% of your principal and interest. Okay? Not property tax insurance, all that's covered already. So uh, if it does have that coverage, typically you don't have to qualify. The property qualifies for the loan. All right. And then his follow-up question, I know sometimes they consider the rent, mm -hmm. but I noticed some lenders don't care for the rent roll. If in you qualifying for the loan, mm -hmm. I wanted to know your thoughts on this. I'm assuming you qualify for a 750000 commercial loan. You have to make probably over 200k annually. I'm assuming. Not necessarily. Uh, 200,000 is it's an overkill. <laughs> but uh, lenders typically look at the actual NOI and also projected, which we call pro forma. Um, for example, if the property is 60% occupied and the market that sub market has a 90% occupancy, well, they're going to say in year two or year three, you're going to be at 90% occupancy. So they may put some interest reserves to cover the shortage for that debt service coverage ratio I talked about, or they may look at you as a, you know, if it's a recourse loan to, to pay the payments. But typically it's the, you know, it, it's the property that has to qualify. All right. Next question from Nelson Castillo. Good to see you. He said, what's the best way to find the replacement cost for your building? 
Uh, this is a typical question. <laughs> um, it, there is no, every building is constructed differently, right? If you got custom windows, custom doors, um, you know, custom awnings, well, that's going to increase the replacement value, right? There is no a schedule you can look or a chart that says specifically down to the dollar what the replacement cost for offices, industrial, retail, or, you know, manufacturing warehouses. So I use a range. Um, you know, the least expensive one is a tilt-up, uh, you know, uh, warehouse or a manufacturing building, right? Because it's just a tilt-up concrete or brick. And that could be 100 to $125 a foot, uh, maybe a little bit less in some areas. And then you have flex space, which has some office and some warehouse. That could be 125 to 150 bucks a foot because office is a little bit more intensive when it comes to built-outs, right? You got ceiling, lights, HVAC. Um, and then after that, you got your, uh, you know, retail. Retail is about 150 to 200 bucks a foot. Again, if it's glass and a steel with a lot of fancy, uh, you know, uh, facade, then it could be 300 bucks a foot for retail, or it could be 200. So there is a range. Uh, obviously, the most expensive is vertical buildings, um, whether it's, uh, you know, apartment high rise or an office high rise. Uh, you know, those could be from 300 to 600 bucks a foot replacement cost. So it's all over the place. There is no place that you can, uh, you know, find an exact replacement cost that's why it's always used in approximity the dollar amount they put uh, the appraisers put all right and then for reference to everyone these ranges are also under the investment criteria doc in the resources of the neighbors area what why did you tell me that sooner <laughs> all right and then uh nelson's follow-up question does replacement cost take into account the land nope never Okay, and then the next question, you said the downturn is coming. I focus on flipping single family homes in Connecticut with an average resale price of 300,000. Do you foresee prices dropping on these entry-level homes? And if so, what percentage drop do you foresee? Well, 300,000 seems pretty affordable to me. Um, uh, I believe that's uh, below national average uh, median home price, but uh, it's function of two things, you know, employment, people have to have job to pay for it. So unemployment spikes up to double, triple, like the 2008, well, even $300,000 price entry is going to get, you know, uh, you know, corrected. Um, and then, uh, two is inventory, right? Some areas may suffer, uh, from price pressure if th their developers are building too many homes there. Um, and then the interest rate, of course, that affects it too. Sometimes you have low unemployment, but you have inflationary periods like we have now that is, is spiking. Um, so there is a lot that goes in there, but I think 300000 is, I would say, is pretty safe area, but I will raise more money because even in, um, you know, when this, uh, what do they call it? Sea goes down, all boats go down, <laughs> uh, sea level goes down. Um, so I would say definitely raise more liquid because we are definitely due for a correction. All right. And then his last question, as a residential house flipper, how do you prepare for a downturn? Do you keep more money in reserves and flip fewer houses at one time? Mm -hmm. To give you some perspective, I typically buy houses at 70 cents on the dollar minus repairs. So I feel pretty protected with those numbers if the market starts to turn as our average hold time is only five months. 
Oh, definitely raise more liquid. Don't uh, you know? Don't put all your money into multiple residential flips, because when the market does a slowdown, your five months going to turn to eight months to twelve months, and you won't be liquid. And if a great deal comes on the market that have substantial price reduction, you don't have no cash to put to work, right? So definitely start uh, tapering off a bit, a bit, and uh, have some cash in your hand. All right, so now we're going to hop over into the comments. And first question is going to be from Kevin. He said, if you are planning to buy a commercial property mm -hmm. using an SBA loan, assuming you occupy 51% of it for your own business, mm -hmm. does SBA look at your corporation income, personal income, or do they underwrite it based on the property and its potential numbers? Mm -hmm. All of the above, but mostly based on your business, how much rent you've been paying, uh, and how much your company can absorb uh, basically from adjusted gross income of your uh, corporation or business, how much of it can they absorb uh, to pay for the SBA loan? And then they do credit you for the remainder of the property's income from other tenants. So it's a, you know, a basket of things. But the number one thing they look at is how much rent you're paying. If you're paying 2000 a month rent, and you're buying a property that's going to have a $20,000 mortgage, uh, principal interest and property tax and insurance and common area, and your business is showing 100000 a year income for past two years, I can guarantee you, you're not going to get approved. <laughs> so it's a, a multiple things they look at, but your business, not your personal income, your business has to qualify to pay the debt payment. All right. And then our last question for the day from Marie. She said, when you say the big money is in commercial, you mean commercial with businesses, tenants, and multifamily five plus units, or only business tenants? Is there big money to make in multifamily buildings as well? Yeah, mostly I'm referring to non-residential properties. So whether it's a 40-unit apartment complex, which is considered commercial, uh, that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to uh, commercial properties that are multi-tenant occupied by businesses. And yes, there is definitely money to be made on five plus units. I started doing that, to be honest with you, in you know late 90s to uh, about 2003 is when I got out of my uh, apartment buildings. It was just becoming too much headache managing tenants and the margins were getting smaller and smaller, which is what you've experienced in this cycle the past two, three years. Um, there's almost no margin uh, buying, you know, multi-tenant uh, residential, very, very small margins. And to me, it's not attractive. All right. Well, 1031. This was great. Um, I loved your questions and keep it up. I hope you guys enjoyed this session. If you do have questions, you didn't get a chance uh, to post or it didn't come to your mind, Go ahead, post it, and we'll get to it after the call. Um, with that said, be safe, be well, stay dry if you're in California. See you guys next week.